This morning, I would like to focus your attention for a few minutes on a day of labor. 125 years ago, President Grover Cleveland proclaimed the first Monday in September as Labor Day. And I'm sure many of you may be wondering why in the world would you take time out of a sermon to talk about Labor Day. If you go to the book of Colossians, to chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6, Paul says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, season with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Redeeming the time. The Lord often took opportunities where people's minds were focused in one direction or another to use that as a teaching moment. You and I should, as we find people who are thinking about something that may be good, to use that moment for something good. You see, Labor Day is a national holiday in our country as well as others to talk about the contribution of the productivity and the prosperity of our nation. And we need to look and see what the Bible says about work. The Bible has a lot to say about secular work, our physical work that we do. And it has a whole lot to say about spiritual work, the kind of effort you and I put into being a Christian So for the next few minutes, let's first of all look at what the Bible says about physical work and then spiritual work. To begin with, if you're going to talk about activity and work, you've got to begin with God. In fact, in the very beginning, we learned that God created this world and giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. He said in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We learn that God worked in the creation of this world. But it wasn't just the Father. Jesus the Son himself tells us several times in John's account when he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus came to accomplish what the Father wanted done. In John 5 and verse 17, My Father has been working until now and I have been working. Chapter 5 verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows himself all things, or shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. 
Jesus is saying, look at what the Father has done, and I will do works that also will make you marvel. Chapter 5, verse 36. For I have a greater witness than John's, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Chapter 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming which no man can work. John 17 and verse 4, in his prayer to the Father, Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So we realize that the Father has worked The sun has worked, and there's so much of that we do not know, as we'll observe later in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But we realize that when God placed man here on this earth, he intended that man be a working individual. Many people will draw attention to the fact that after the fall that man had to work. But if you go to chapter 2 and verse 15 of Genesis, it says, The Lord God took man put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. God expected man to work in the very beginning. In chapter 3, verse 17, it says, To Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it, All the days of your life. One of the consequences of the fall of man was that this earth brought forth thorns and thistles. Not only did man have to work, but now he has to work that much harder in order to try to enjoy the fruit of its labor. In Genesis 5 and verse 29, Noah comes out from the ark. or It says, Noah says, uh, this is the comfort which he shall concerning our work and our toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So the ground was cursed and man had to work. Solomon gives us some great insight into God's plan for man to work. He will do so through two of his wonderful books, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs. For just a moment, let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes and let's see a few things that Solomon says about labor and work. He tells us in chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied Do you realize that in those verses, those words, he says the God-given task. That means God expects me to work. God expects you to work. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find the work which God does from the beginning to the end. That means that all that God has done, I cannot discover, nor can you. It will only be by the revelation of God that we know that which He has done. But then you look, return to man. He says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice, to do good in their lives, 
And that also every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is a gift of God. God created work for us. It's a gift to us. And by work, God intended for us to enjoy the fruits of it. Of course, you get to chapter 4, verse 4. And he says, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, man is envied by his neighbor. If a man is diligent and he works hard, he will succeed. However, when he does, there will always be people to look at him and say, what's he trying to do? Why is he working so hard? In chapter 2, verses 17 through 23, he often explains that people are faced with that which they work for being passed to another. He said, I hated life because of the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all the vanity and grasping for wind. Then I hated all my labor which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I have toiled and show myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. He said, you'll leave it and you don't know what kind of man he will be, whether he'll be wise or he will be a fool. And that's the reason why He would say, you labor now and you enjoy the fruits of your labor. In chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, that is your portion in the labor in which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, Do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. That means that right now God expects us to put every effort we can because there will come a time when we cannot work, when man's work will be done. Chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, I'm not going to go into detail with this but simply point out the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. He goes out, he works hard, and then he enjoys the sleep because of the effort that he has put in. But when you go to the book of Proverbs, Solomon has a slightly different focus. Solomon in his Proverbs recognizes the fact that many people are lazy. Sometimes he refers to them as the slothful, slow, they don't want to do things. Listen to chapter 18 in verse 9. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. A man's lazy is just like a man who destroys. Chapter 21 in verse 25. The desire of the lazy man kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. Chapter 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the hand of the lazy will be put to forced labor. And then chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. 
Consider her ways and be wise. And then he explains why the ant is so wise. Prepares food during the summer. Gathers food during the harvest. But then he says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to sleep. So shall poverty come on you like a prowler. And your poverty like an armed man. You're going to lose if you don't work. But Solomon also focuses on honest labor. We live in a world today where people want something for nothing. They want to take advantage of someone else. And Solomon tells us, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. But he who gathers by labor will increase. Or chapter 16, verse 11, honest weights and scales are the Lord's and all the bags of the weights of the bag are his work. Solomon is trying to say a man should do his work honestly. You give a man a day's work for a day's pay. Or if you're selling him something, you give him what you promise to him. And then Solomon talks about motivation. The why of working. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. You work hard, you're going to succeed. You will rise. But then he tells us in chapter 16 and verse 26, the person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. Someone says, why do you go to work? Because I want to eat. I want to be able to have food on the table. And if I want to have food on the table, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to serve. Paul likewise exhibited this wisdom when he wrote the Thessalonians as well as the Ephesians. He said you must either work or you'll end up stealing or you'll end up begging. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28, Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. When you see a man over there and and he's stealing, that's because he wants something without working for it. But Paul says, you don't do that anymore if you're a Christian. You work hard. You provide for your own. And he said, then you have a little extra to help somebody who really is in need. When he wrote the Thessalonians, there evidently was a problem with people who, anticipating the Lord's return, had stopped working. And so he says that we, you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And then he continues in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians by saying, for even... When we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you disorderly, not working, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. And so I I think the New Testament as well as the Old Testament is abundantly clear. God expects work, physical work out of us in order to be able to eat. 
so that we're not going to be a burden to anyone else. In 2 Thessalonians 3.8, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. That's why you work. But now if you start asking what motivates people to work, I'd suggest there's several reasons. Probably first and foremost is financial profit. We want the money that comes from it. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. It depends on what you are working for. For instance, in 2 Peter 2 verse 15, it talks about a man by the name of Balaam. And the Bible tells us he loved the wages of unrighteousness. Or you might could go to Matthew 26 and verse 15 when Judas went in to bargain with the chief priest and he did so and he said, what are you willing to give me if I will deliver him to you? They counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. But on the other hand, there are others who work for the financial profit of it. Most of us do so that we can be paid. Many have jobs that they don't really enjoy. I'm privileged to have one I do enjoy. But many people go out and they do various jobs. They don't enjoy them, but they do them so they can eat. Job observed in chapter 7, verse 2, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. You know, you work hard all week and then you get your paycheck on Friday afternoon. At least that's the way it used to be. What did you do? And you lined up for the paymaster. You wanted to open that check and you wanted to be able to see what you had been paid for that week. But another reason might be a fleshly pride or an ego. Some people work so that they can have other people appreciate them. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that can be bad. Sometimes people do so because they're filling present needs. You know, they've been talking about Hurricane Dorian coming. And if it does come, there will be a number of people who work not for the money. They'll work not for the praise or the adoration, but they'll work because they want to help somebody. Because they want to fill their needs. And they take pleasure in serving. And in all of us, we should have a faithful priority And we ought to be trying to please God by being good workers. Our reputation ought to be good in this regard. But now let's talk about some spiritual work. Spiritual labor is every bit as important and significant, in fact more so, than secular or physical work. If you go to John chapter 6... There are people there to whom Jesus has provided food. And here's what he says to them. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work The works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he sent. 
Now listen carefully, folks. This is the work of God that you believe. God expects each of us to believe that He is and He is rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. He demands of us that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 8 and verse 24. That is one of the elementary works that God expects of us. God also expects service. Sometimes our service involves worship. Sometimes it involves doing good deeds. We work with God and we work for God. Too many people fail to understand that both of those aspects are there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, We then as workers together with Him also plead that you would not see the grace of God in vain. God's grace has come at His work. Our work is to make it known to everyone. Colossians 1 and verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Paul says, I am going to be a tool for God. I am going to be something that God can use in His hand. And I'm going to work. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And He Himself, that is God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Yes, God said, I want these people to do this work. Do you remember what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says? If any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. There's labor involved in it. And anything that you and I give to God should be the very best that we have to offer. God should would not be pleased if we only half-heartedly served Him. In 1 Corinthians 3, 8 and 9, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And then he says, each one's work is going to be judged, tested by what kind of effort he puts into it. Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. A man's got to work. Galatians 6 and verse 4, let each one examine his own work and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. You look at what you are doing. You know, it's, it's very easy to say, look what we as a congregation are doing. But let's step back and say, what am I doing to contribute to that? Here may be a factory that turns out a good product. What am I doing to contribute 
toward the product that we are turning out? What am I doing to spread the gospel? What am I doing to encourage others who are in need? But now we have to emphasize that even though God expects us to work, and work is essential in order to be pleasing to God, it is not that which merits our salvation. There are just too many verses that draw attention to this fact. In Luke 17, verses 9 and 10, he asked, Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. There's none of us who can get to the day of judgment and stand before the throne of God and say, just look what I've done, God. Because if you have done everything that you were asked to do, you simply did what you were told. But most of us fail. And many times we fail miserably. And so we have nothing of which to boast or to brag. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he adds, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Given before time began? That means that I didn't have anything to do with God's divine plan. It was there before I got here. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Well, then why do we serve? A lot of people would say, if I can't merit my salvation and at best I am going to be an unprofitable servant, then why try? We do it because we love and we appreciate God for everything He has done for us. Under the Old Testament, there was provision made for a person who loved their master, who didn't want to go out for free, who wanted to stay, wanted to serve because he loved his master. We read in Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door and to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. We sing the song, Pierce My Ear. O Lord my God, 
that song reflects. The idea that we love God and we serve God not out of this grudging obligation, but out of a loving appreciation for what God has done for us. Our job is not done. You know, I can remember seeing my daddy, who my mother used to call him Pharaoh, hard taskmaster. And I would get a job done and I'd be ready to go and uh, clean up and maybe go out on a date or go out with some friends. And he'd say, your job's not done, boy. You're not done. You still got jobs to do. You still got work to complete. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's some work that needs to go on, ongoing. John 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming which no man can work. There will be a time when you won't be able to work. But that's not it right now. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Matthew chapter 11 verses 29 through 30. Jesus offers help though. Sometimes when we work, we get tired. In fact, we get to the point where we feel like we're about ready to buckle under the weight of the work that we have to do. And Jesus invites us, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Then listen carefully, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the song. It used to be number 50 in the old songbook. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. You think about the burdens that we carry around in life, the, the work that we do, the spiritual lifting of those burdens in Jesus Christ. We've talked about secular work. We've talked about spiritual work. We talked about the necessity of faith as being one of the works that Jesus expects us to do. But sometimes people say, I believe, but you've got to do something. In James chapter 2, verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? You say you believe. Act on it. Look at verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect? You look and see, here's a man who wants to say, I've got faith. But he said, when the works cooperate with that faith, that's when you have something accomplished. Verse 24. You see, then a man is justified by works. And not by faith only. We're going to sing the invitation song. And here's the challenge. Here's the call. If you're out here and you believe and you're not a Christian yet, 
Why not come forward? Why not be baptized this morning? Become a New Testament Christian. Have you been sitting down under the shade tree while everybody else has been working? Have you been missing at the job? You know, some of us need to say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've been not doing. Soul a Savior, thou art needing. Do you need the Savior this morning? If you do, why not come as together we stand and sing?